welcome to All Talk Oncology. I'm your host, Kenny Perkins, a.k.a. The Cancer Guy. And uh, welcome to another phenomenal episode. I'm so glad that you're here today. We have another phenomenal guest, as we always do. I always say it because everyone on here is phenomenal. <laughs> you know, but seriously, today's guest, we're, we're going to take it to... Uh, we're going to be presenting a TV journalist. Imagine that. What is life like for a TV journalist? You know, for 17 years, our next guest was in front of that camera, bringing you the exclusive, letting you know the latest and greatest. You know, you have to get it while it's hot. We all heard that, right? Get it while it's hot. In TV journalism, you can't wait until the next day, right? But You've already, you've already lost your opportunity. Someone else is reporting on it. In order for you to do and bring in the best in an exclusive, you have to be on your A game. You have to be ready to report. Grinding, making it happen. Do you get sleep when any of that? No, you may. A couple of hours, three, four, maybe tops. When you have to get out here and get it going. You know, so when it comes to sleep or nutrition, what is that? Give me a burger and a fry. Let's keep it pushing. Let's make it happen. Right. So until your health gets, you know, shaken up a little bit, until you get that wake up call, you know, when you get the wake up call and your health is in jeopardy, making it happening in that grind oh, is not so important anymore. You know, they say health is wealth. Sometimes you don't see that, right? Not when we're in the, in the midst of it all. Not when we're in the middle and getting things done, right? It's when we get that wake-up call. You know, in our bodies, it tells us, right? I mean, if we're in tune with our bodies, it always talks to us. It lets us know what's going on. You know, if there's something bothering you, if you're upset stomach or, you know, you know, you usually feel that, right? That's a, that's a kind of a, a regular signal. We get the signal, guess what? We got to go to the bathroom. Everybody's kind of in tune with that, right? But it's the things that happen to us that they're off and then we're not so quite sure. You know, imagine, you know, you, you're going, you're going down the street and all of a sudden you you think you, you blanked out, your, your eyesight is gone, but then it's not. You know, you're hearing, but then you think you're not. Your taste buds and some things sometimes you taste and it's, there's a metallic taste in your mouth. Is it a metallic taste? I'm out tripping. Is my mind playing tricks on me? Am I going out of my mind? I think I'm seeing, but I'm not seeing. I think I hear things, but then I'm not hearing. And that's kind of interesting, right? What is your body telling you? Are you in tune with that? Or are you just like, oh, I'm in my head. I'm not getting enough sleep. You can understand how you can associate those things with not getting enough sleep, right? You're kind of going, oh, I'm delirious. <laughs> but our body talks to us. But are we listening? That's the million-dollar question, you know. When we get sick and when we get uh, in a position where our health is in jeopardy, who is there for us? They say, you know, when things, bad things happen, you really find out who your friends are. 
You know, some people can't deal with you being in a vulnerable state, needing help. Some people are not there for that. And if you don't know who those are, sometimes when you get sick, that reveals themselves. You hear it all the time. So our next guest, TV journalist, 17 years. She was honored for her work by the New York State Associated Press, nominated for an Emmy. Strong work. We've seen her on Good Day LA. I'm talking about no one, no other, the one and only Julie Chang. There she is. Hello. How are you? I'm great. Oh, you look phenomenal. Well, I try to clean up every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, do I call you Kenny or do I call you Dr. Perkins? No, you call me Kenny. I'm, I, <laughs> Kenny. Yes. Really? Because I feel like you went, once you go to medical school for that long. <laughs> no, no, I'm not a physician. Okay. Yes. But thank you. Thank you for that. I think I think a lot of people get that mixed up just because of the work that I've been doing, which yeah. is great, right? Yeah, totally. No, I, I, I admire the conversations you have started about, you know, about a very overlooked topic. Yes. You know, and that's, that's the whole objective is to bring this to the forefront. Yeah. And there's so many people, right, that have been affected or have, are being affected uh, by this disease. So, right, we want to make sure we get this out in the forefront. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I always say <laughs> I didn't choose the brain tumor life. The brain tumor life chose me. And because of that, I get just dozens and dozens of um, direct messages per week from uh, folks who are either going through the journey themselves and or know of someone that um, just got the diagnosis and they're just at a blank of how to help and what's the next steps. So um, I'm glad that I can do this in a larger arena so that people who don't know of me or don't feel um, com- you know, uh, comfortable reaching out directly, they can at least have this information. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you know, thank you so much for, for stepping up and telling your story because that is our whole thing, right? We're empowering yeah. cancer patients with these insightful conversations, right? That reinforces yeah. confidence and certainty about these cancer conditions. And so for, for you to tell your story and someone else to be diagnosed with something similar as yours or actually the same diagnosis, it gives them hope and yeah. empowerment, right? Yeah, no, uh, I just remember when, when I knew something was wrong and I just remember thinking to myself, not the brain, not the brain, not the brain, not the brain. <laughs> <laughs> but I, it was the brain. <laughs> you know, your your story, I tell you, is so, so unique. Uh, it is kind of crazy because when I retell it, well, I'll tell the funny story. So I recently had my first vacation with my husband in three years, because we all know these are some wild times. Mm-hmm. And um, so we, we gutsied up and took our first trip to Hawaii um, in many years because you know, my in-laws stepped in and they helped with the kids here. So we were able to escape. And um, I, I know how to surf, but I like working with surfing instructors and coaches in new areas because then it just cuts a lot of the figuring out 
time of where to get the board and where's a good you know surf break. So I hired this coach and um, we go out and I'm wearing a hat. And halfway through the surf session, I asked him, I said, hey, um, I'm half blind. And I, I just find that my vision's really impeded out here. Can you wear my hat for me? Like, I really love this hat. I don't want to lose it, but you know, I can't see. He's like, sure. And you can just tell it's like, he's itching to ask me like, how did you lose just half your vision, you know? Sure. So I finally say, you know, I, I, I know it's odd, but I said, you know, I had a brain tumor taken out. And um, unfortunately, during the process, they, they damaged some of my optical nerves. And so um, it just never came back. So the right half of each eye is, is missing. He's like, oh, and you're going to die laughing, Kenny, because, you know, um, I know of a similar story. And I said, oh, do you? And he's like, well, how did you, you know, it, it, how did you find out you had a tumor in your head? And I said, surfing saved my life. I went and out as a novice surf, surfer on a completely calm day. And so I couldn't ride anything because there was nothing. And for reasons I can't explain, call a divine intervention, um, my board washed away, um, even though I distinctly remember putting on the ankle strap and I looked down to look for my board and it popped up and gave me a black eye mm -hmm. and I had to go make sure that I didn't break my orbital and it was during that um, CAT scan that they discovered I had a um, this size brain tumor and he's like you're never going to believe it but I know of this exact story but this girl was a newscaster <laughs> <laughs> And I, you know, he's like her, I ran across her story because it was like a, it was one of those viral stories on Instagram or TikTok. It, it almost came to me as like a meme. But anyway, he's like, how crazy is that story that like how similar that is? And I said, I used to be a news anchor. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, get out. He's like, I heard your story story and that is so wild he's like it is such an honor that you are here and you are still loving the sport and so anyway I had a whole like full circle moment in Hawaii and um more so another reason why I agreed to talk to you today because you just never know where your story is going to be heard right yeah. you just don't know how it's going to move and impact and um people so uh, I just found that hilarious that he, he was like, there's this newscaster. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, that's me. Yeah. That's and uh, and all uh, another, another confirmation that I really don't look like this because <laughs> when I was wet and had no makeup on, he was like, oh, I don't know if you're her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, Julie, how, how, how amazing, right? across the sea in Hawaii, you know, this experience, right? you know? Yeah, the surfing community is really tight knit is what I'm finding out. And so um, I think the sport just really attracts a lot of people who want to connect with nature, yeah. want to be as present as you can be, because there's no other sport where you have to be more present. Because if you are not looking at the waves, you're going to wipe out and possibly drown. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. So I think that community, just any sort of really uplifting story of like, oh my God, surfing saved this person's life. It's, it saved mine in many different sort of meaning. I think it just like brings people together. And, and that is absolutely true. You know, there's one of my favorite quotes is the only way you can gain back time is to be present. And so for me, surfing not only gave me the gift of actually my life of discovering a fist-sized brain tumor, but it actually gave me my life back in the sense I'm gaining time back every time I'm out there because I'm so present. How did you hear about my story? Um, social media. Okay. Yeah. So well, apparently there's like a bunch of little reels and TikTok things um, cut about my story mm -hmm. um, that I don't know about. <laughs> You know, my, I have an outreach team and uh, they come back and, and, and give me information and what, yeah. they, what we found. And so we found your story and it was like, oh, this is absolutely amazing. Well, I would love to share with you exactly where my tumor was because I bet you have some medical folks that listen in, right? Oh, for sure. I'm going to mess it up. So I'm going to read exactly what the doctor put in his notes. Clementine-sized meningioma left atrial intraventricular tumor goes in height <laughs> <laughs> all that means is if you're looking at my head the tumor unfortunately was inside the ventricle so it, it was if you're looking at an egg the tumor was basically the yolk mm -hmm. so sometimes you can be luckier enough or lucky luckier than if it's like in the core of your brain. And if it's sort of in the surface areas, they can be less intrusive with healthy brain tissue. You know that. So they can go in through your ear, they can go through your nose. They don't necessarily have to cut your skull and interrupt all that healthy brain tissue. I did not have that luck. Mm -hmm. They really had to go right into the core of my brain. Um, but look at me, I'm okay, I'm alive. And, you know, I feel like, in the grand scheme of things, like when you're in the ICU, you quickly realize very few people who are there for brain cancer will leave the hospital. And so for me to be able to walk out of that hospital, only having given up half my vision, I just feel like I'm still pretty unscathed. So I'm super grateful. And um, yeah, it's, it's, listen, it, the last few years have not been boring. Because uh, another thing that the neuro team prepare you for is, you know, they, they have to like literally tell you the whole gamut of what may result from the surgery, right? And so um, I, I was told I could lose all communicative skills or a little slow in speech because my tumor sat where my sensors were. And so that's really interesting because people were always like, oh, were you symptomatic? And um, I was, but I literally thought I was losing my mind because the way it sat on my sensors, one week I would not be able to see. Next week, I would only taste metal in my mouth. The next week, I couldn't really hear out of where my ears. But because it was bouncing around with my different sensors, uh, I, I thought I was losing my mind. And so um, it was really, really frustrating because I'm like, I think this is all just in my head, literally and figuratively. 
<laughs> turns out it was something really inside my head. Um, yeah, and um, it, it just, uh, you know, they told me, the neuro team told me, um, I don't know what your plans are for having children, but given your age and just, you know, if you're gonna try, give yourself two, three years and just know that it might not happen at all. Um, because as, as it turns out, like your brain is the control center for everything that happens in your body, right? Your brain is the one that tells it to do everything. And when it goes through such severe trauma as a brain surgery, it invests all of its energy in the healing process of the actual brain. So for the brain to tell it, your body to grow another human being, it just is too taxing. So they said, you know, very slim to none chance. Cut to three months after the surgery, I got pregnant with my son. And then cut to, you know, three and a half years later, I had my healthy daughter. So, um, you know, I know a lot of parents say like, my kids are walking miracles. To me, it, I really feel like, like those, those words mean, uh, just feel too real. <laughs> like I just, I'm in disbelief that I, given all that I went through health-wise, was able to make two healthy humans. Yes. Even though, you know, everyone sort of thought the odds were stacked against me. So the human body is amazing. And also I think we know so little about the brain still. And what a blessing. Yeah, there's nothing that says your body is making a comeback, like being able to get pregnant and carry full term without a doubt. Yes. And I learned that because UCSF, where I had my surgery, contacted me when they heard about my story. And they said, we would love for you to be the face of, you know, the neurology department here at UCSF. It didn't work out because at the time I had to cover the Emmys and the campaign was being shot by a film crew in San Francisco at the same week. So oh. it never worked out. But, um, you know, I, I know that I guess, you know, they must have thousands of patients that come for their services at UCSF because it is a world-renowned hospital, especially for the type of meningioma that I had. And to know that they thought my story was special enough to share, uh, I, it really made me take a step back and think, oh gosh, like, I guess there is really nothing that underscores the message of hope as being able to create new life after your own life was at such threat. Oh my goodness. So, so phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's only one Julie. You go, oh, why me? There's thousands, but well, there's only one Julie. Come on. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I, I think the most rewarding thing about this whole journey has been, um, even if it's just a sliver of hope that I give somebody else going through their own stuff, it, I'm happy to share like the hardships I went through so that this person doesn't have to feel alone. And they can understand that if you remain hope and have a good outlook, anything's possible. Um, I do have days where I have a lot of um, survivor guilt. Um, there are plenty of people who went through what I went through that did not come out or come out the same. And so it's hard to shed that because you wonder, like, why was I spared when this person was you know, lovely and has a family to support. And um, so that's hard. 
How do you work through that, Julie? Well, I have to work. I have to believe that I was spared to do something big and something meaningful, even if it's just to give one more, like one person, uh, a more clear focus. I, I don't know what it is, but I just feel like I can't let my life go to waste. I was spared for a reason, and I better, I you know, I better make it matter. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, being grateful, showing gratitude is, you know, one of the major things that we we tell mm-hmm. our cancer clients, right? I mean, because it's tough when you get diagnosed with something like this. And as well, it's so about, easy to say, why me? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's, yes. and, and no one knows any of those answers clearly. I mean, there's a million factors at play, you know? Um, but I mean, look at my life what I thought was my greatest curse ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me. I would never do anything differently. I would, I would have the brain tumor all over again, knowing it would rob me of half my vision, et cetera, uh, to get me to where I am today, just because the things I gained from that. I'm actually really glad that we're recording this on um, MLK day because that experience of not knowing if you're going to make it or if you're going to come out of the other side, not severely mentally challenged, like you quickly realize the best equalizer in life is death. Death does not care if you're a woman, death does not care if you're black, Asian, white, how many award shows you covered, how, what your income is, where you live, what you're driving, death does not care. And so what a blessing to be able to see that and be able to hit the reset button where you kind of have a different compass of the value system. So well said, right? And I always say, Julie, would you agree? Cancer does not discriminate. Right? Oh, yeah, no. Equal, uh, equal opportunist. <laughs> Young or old, rich or poor, it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, it doesn't matter yeah. for sure. And just so happy for you to come out of that a different person. And I always say, I always say to the people that are going through this, the way you started is not the way that you're gonna you're gonna end, right? The right. way you come in well, is not the way you're gonna go further out. Further elaborate on why I would never take this back and why I would go through being so sick all over again is because you, it's like you get to attend your own funeral. Mm -hmm. You get to see who shows up. And it is like the fastest and the most efficient house cleaning you could ever do of the people in your life. Wow. So at the time I was just dating my now husband and we'd been, we were together to get for six months in New York. And then I got this amazing opportunity here in LA to host one of the morning shows. And so we did long distance for about a year. And, and then I got the diagnosis. And I, I think the exact words were, listen, this is a lot for anyone to sign up for. They're telling me I could be mentally challenged. I could totally lose my vision altogether. We've been dating for a year. I don't want you to be responsible for this. We can always resume later, 
you can pick it up down the road. But I just think this is a lot for anyone to sign up for after just a year of dating. And he flew right away to LA and he said, throw a white dress in the car. And we eloped because he did the research and realized that my insurance would only cover at best 80% of a half a million dollar surgery. Whereas his insurance would cover the full thing if we were married. And so we got married for the least romantic, but the most romantic reason. And I would never want any other couple to go through what we like went through health-wise. But what a beautiful way to see how serious this person is for you. Yes. And you know, people often say, like, oh, you want to marry the person where you like imagine who's by your bedside if you're you know gravely ill. I didn't have to imagine that. I saw it. You know, he drove me to work. Once I got, um, I think I took about three and a half months off after surgery. And um, my end time at that time was, gosh, 3 a.m., 4 a.m., did morning news. And because my vision didn't come back um, enough, he had to drive me to work for, gosh, seven, eight months at four in the morning. (laughs) And, you know, Aside from the whole, like right after surgery, right? He's like brushing blood clots out of my hair and bathing me and doing everything for me because I was, you know, basically just laid out in bed for weeks. Um, You just, that's, uh, to me, that is the purest form of love that someone could exemplify for you. So um, yeah, it just, that like, what a gift that was for me, right? Who knows if like it hadn't had the tumor, I probably would have messed up that relationship like I messed up so many other ones. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what a romantic story. And not only that, something for very serious, like this is serious, right? I mean, you're talking- Well, you know, just let Nicholas Sparks who wrote the notebook, give us a call. (laughs) We're happy to sell our story. College ain't gonna pay for itself. No, I just, I just really think the the message of my story is everyone's going through their stuff, right? You know, when I was in the thick of the tumor stuff, I literally was like, why me? Why is it, you know? And looking back now, I'm like, oh my God, I didn't know this like beautiful path of my life was being constructed and that I was going to be able to see so clearly who this man is and just how supportive he was going to be of me through good or bad. And then just the family we've been able to build. It's just, it, it, it just is, I wouldn't take it back, you know, and I'm not saying it wasn't hard. It was so scary. It was so, so scary. And I still have occasional seizures because that's just always going to be part of my life, yes. but I still like, wouldn't give that up. Like I would still have seizures because I think it keeps me grounded. It keeps me humble. And it's just part of my story that has led me to all of these other blessings that are so worth it. So I don't know. It's like, that's what I hope people take away is that it could be the best thing that ever happens to you. Just give it time. You know, Julie, it builds who you are going to become, right? You know, the Julie before Oh, yeah, yeah. It's not the Julie we're looking at today, right? Yeah, no. um, 
you get on a different path when you go through something major like that. And again, I don't wish that upon anybody to go through, but God, like, don't let my journey go to waste. Like, listen to my story and you can have that awakening without the scare, right? So that's why I put it all out there because I'm thinking like, you, you shouldn't have to like go through a major illness and have brain cancer and almost die and to know um, that time waits for no one. What was life like for you prior to diagnosis? Just to get us a background prior to, you know, the CT scan. What was Julie doing? What was uh, it like? Well, I, you know, it's almost impossible to root back to like what gave you a brain tumor. Nobody knows, right? No. But I do have a strong guess. And it is, and you're going to get chills when I tell you. <laughs> so, um, I don't know if you noticed, but broadcast is a very cutthroat business. I mean, it's not a coincidence. There are like four drama shows on air right now about just the cutthroat nature of a newsroom. And it's all true, sadly. And so when I was in New York for 10 years broadcasting, I don't think I used a single sick day. Because when you take a sick day, you are opening up that on-air seat for someone else to shine. And it puts your job at threat because that's the message that's continually told to you that there isn't enough seats at the table. And so you're continuously working just the grind. Then I moved to LA after 10 years and I'm calling out sick once a week. And I'm thinking I'm literally going crazy. Sure. Can't get replaced. Tasting metal. I can't see. Yeah. And so I go see a neurologist. I won't mention her name, but she came very highly recommended and she's private practice and it's hard to get an appointment. And she shines a flashlight in my eye and, and you know, I'm telling her, I'm like, I think I'm like losing it. And she said, you know what, this happens all the time when people relocate from New York to LA. It's different allergies, different barometric pressures, stress of a new job why don't we prescribe you some migraine pills and we'll go from there. Mm -hmm. She never prescribed the scan. And she said, you know, you're in your early thirties, you're, you're healthy. This is fine. Like you're going to be fine. So I'm taking these horse size migraine pills all the time, (laughs) masking this giant Clementine slash fist size tumor that is growing in my head. And, and then cut to two months later is when I had the surfing incident and I got the CT scan after getting a black eye with my board. And that's when I saw the tumor, but I was very symptomatic. Mm. I was super, super symptomatic. And looking back when I got the diagnosis, um, you know, based on the tumor's growth rate, they can often dissect exactly how long it has been in your head because it grows at a very slow, steady state if you have a benign tumor. And the doctor, I literally got chills at this point. And I, I think he had to literally like pick up my jaw. He said, based on our calculations, your tumor has been inside your head for 12 years. At that exact moment, I had been doing morning news for 12 years. All this to say, your body manifests stress in different ways. And one of the number one reasons for stress is lack of sleep. And so 
to wake up between the hours of 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. for 12 years. And I was in my 20s when I started the news. And I just thought a little nap here, a little nap here. I can just defy sleep. Who needs sleep? Lazy people sleep. I can just, you know, grind. And I was in New York City. I was 24 and in New York City with an on-air job, like healthy income. I, I was just thinking like, I'm not going to miss out on anything. So I would sleep, what, 5 p.m. to 8 p.m., wake up, go to dinner, go clubbing, and then go into work at 1 a.m. <laughs> and I would do this for years yeah. thinking that, it can't catch up with me. Let me be a lesson to everyone out there. You need your sleep. It's basic stuff, people. You need nutrition. You need sleep. And if you don't get those things, it's going to play out in ways that you, it's not going to be easy. I mean, a simple way to remember this is like a powerful quote. If you don't make time for your wellness, you're going to have to be forced to make time for your illness. Mm. The amount of time that I have had to put into doctor's appointments for my recovery and for just maintaining maintenance on being a tumor survivor. I don't even want to tell you, yeah. you know, the medical cost of, of like what I've endured. It, it's, it's not something I would wish upon my worst enemy. So, um, just it's it's really really easy to lose scope of that in our culture that really glamorizes the grind i mean how often do you talk to your friends and colleagues that are always like oh i'm so busy it's like a humble brag right for sure and we need to really shift the language we need to shift our perspective we need to stop glamorizing the grind because we're all getting really sick and um you know self-care dude <laughs> self-care is the most selfless thing you can do for yourself and for those around you because when you go down others are going to have to take care of you yeah well especially when you're 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 worried about your job right the stress of not oh. showing up you know that whole anxiety yeah i mean you're basically in like like a pageant culture every single day for hours a day and it's not even just like the the actual employer part of it it's you know now with social media you put yourself out there and people think it's it gives them the freedom to say whatever they want about you and so if you get immediate feedback every day oh your outfit sucks today you know that story was dumb I mean I unfortunately I, I fortunately have been pretty like out of that kind of hateful target but you know every now and then you know especially like these weird times I you know I get very racial remarks thrown at me wow. uh, and then once you become a mom like the parenting space is such a divisive space you get all sorts of random remarks about how you're parenting and so um it's just you get it from all angles and so you just really have to decide like I'm never going to be able to control what's happening out here so like, what work am I going to do to be able to properly go inward? How many hours of sleep do I prop, like need to do that work? What do I need to be feeding myself to go inward easier? Because you're never going to be able to control all that's happening out there, you know? And it literally took a, a fist-sized brain tumor for me to get that. But like that shouldn't happen to everybody else. Like you shouldn't have to 
endure something so scary to get that message, you know, listen to the people who have like gone down that journey. So Julia, you know, so are you saying the people that are out here, right? We're told to get out here and chase our dreams, right? Yeah. Make these things amazing, make make them come true. And that's what you were doing, right? In your 20s, here you are in New York and you're yeah. chasing your dreams and you're doing everything possible to be successful. But what you're saying is as you're doing that, yeah, implement some well, success. I, how we define success is is a fault, right? It's almost all the time tied to monetary earnings right? But like, why can't success be you go through life without getting cancer because you took care of yourself? Mm. You know, we, we just are so end goal oriented. And I, I, I do it as a mom, you yeah. know, I, I ask my kids to do something, always expecting something, you know, to be reached. And I have to really be mindful to do less of that, because I think we get so much of that culturally as it is and so in the home I would love to promote free play more where I'm not expecting them to accomplish anything but to just explore with no time limit with no rules you know and yeah no it's just how did you shift out of that how did you shift out of this is what success is and we're talking monetary so yeah. now going, no, success is completely different for me now. What is that to you today? Like, how did you shift to that? And what is it to you today? Well, I went, when I was going through the tumor ordeal and I was in the ICU for, you know, a week and I'm sitting in the hospital bed, never was there a dialogue inside my head that was like, oh, I wish I would have interviewed Brad Pitt one more time. <laughs> like, oh, I wish I would have, you know, covered one more Oscars. None of that. Right. The conversation that was really going inside my head was, if it ends, if this doesn't really turn out how we want it to, what is the legacy I'm leaving behind? Are people going to talk about the types of celebrities I interviewed or the stories I covered? Probably not. Right. They're probably going to, it's just probably going to be a handful of people that remember like how I made them feel or if I inspire them to do some sort of work or get on a path that enriched their life. Like those are the things that I was thinking. And actually that's when 940 was born. Talk about that. What is, what is 940? Yeah, so I have a docu-series on YouTube called 940. If you Google Julie Chang with uh, 940 with Julie Chang, it will pop up. And nine, uh, <laughs> In a, in a nutshell, when I was really sick and in the hospital, I just started looking at life in numbers. You know, I remember thinking, you know, I see this person once a year. If I live 30 more years, I probably will see them just 30 more times. And um, I started even thinking about how many books I read a year and how selective I should be about what books I read because I probably had only time to read five books a year. And if you do the math, oh my God, you don't have that many books left in your life. And so 940 stands for the number of weekends that exist from the time your child is born till he, she, or they 
go off to college or turn 18. And I say weekends because let's be honest, during the week, we're not in the headspace to really connect with our kids. We're in work mode. I hope we can shift that more. But the reality is I know that most parents are not thinking about how to better attune with their kids until it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And most of the time, because you're forced to, right? Because they, they don't have school. You don't have childcare. Like you, you have to be with them. And so when you put a tangible number to how limited that time is, and it's far fewer than 940 weekends, right? If you think about 53% of the households that are divorced, that 940 weekends is immediately cut in half. And then you think about, my son is seven years old. He already doesn't want to hang out with us. He thinks we're not cool. So, you know, it, it literally boils <laughs> down to you have like 200 weekends with your kids. Yeah. You make a meaningful, deep connection. And so the show really centers around showing accessible and actionable tools for families of all income and walks of life to be able to have the tools to better connect and give time shape so that you're not one of those parents that wakes up and says, oh my God, where did the time go? It's all a blur. Because if you don't train yourself in your brain to have time markers and make meaningful moments, that's what it's gonna feel like. You're gonna feel like someone robbed you of time. And, and like there are actual ways to not make that happen. But because we've lost our way, we think these te like techniques are new. It's not. <laughs> like the first episode is hilarious because I found a bonafide tree whisperer in England. And she's published like 17 books. And she sounds nutty when you hear just the first, oh, she talks to trees. But when you actually speak with her, you're like, oh, my God, this is a method that has existed for thousands of years. The Japanese have been doing forest bathing for at least 4,000 years. Mm -hmm. And just the immediate impact it has on your nervous system when you just even touch a tree. You know, we are animals at the end of the day. And when we just hold soil, if you had like neurotransmitters on, it would be lighting up like a Christmas tree because you are so excited to be connecting with nature and it just completely soothes your nervous system. And so all of this has existed. The Native Americans still practice it every day. Like, but we just completely like, you know, swept it aside as we've all, you know, and I'm guilty as well, <laughs> have just put our heads down and invested all of our attention on this. And so they're just really entertaining, fascinating, yeah, methods of, um, showing you how to slow down time, how to savor time. And um, first episode is the tree, uh, how to talk to trees. And it's hilarious because my husband is the most skeptical person. And so we all try it. None of us actually hear anything ba back, me and the kids, but like we feel better. He heard something back. Mm -hmm. So you'll have to see his immediate reaction when you know, I ask him, I'm like, can you talk to the tree? And he's just so, so surly. He's like, what? what do you want me to do? <laughs> <laughs> and then he actually hears the tree back. And he's like, I'm like, what? We're all just shocked. Second episode, we get a spider pet. We didn't go buy it. We just found one around the house. And an entomologist 
tells us how we can really slow down time be connecting with insects. I know, crazy. Um, and then the third one, I talked to um, RX America, which is real physicians, really world-renowned doctors who've gotten together and figured out how to write nature prescriptions. We are so, I mean, American culture especially is so quick to go to prescription drugs. In most other countries, it's flipped. It's all about preventative medicine. And so they also, you know, it's like your prescription could look like lay in a hammock twice a week, 30 minutes, no electronic devices and observe the clouds. So they gave this types of prescriptions and it's case by case. Which is missing, right, Julia? Yeah, it's just, it, yeah, it could be like throw a ball with your dog for 15 minutes a day. For me, I self, I gave myself a self-nature prescription of surfing tw two to three times a week. Yes. Because it's just what it does for your mental health, your overall health is just astounding. And, you know, and they just have staggering amounts of um, research on, um, on what it does for young people, especially, um, you know, the, the rate of depression and anxiety that happens in our young people, because they've just completely lost connection with nature is, is staggering. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's not a by coincidence that when you go to a hospital, you see either a nature poster or a plant in the room, they have actually proven that just by looking at nature, you heal faster. So, um, yeah, so I could just go on, but like 940 is all about that. It's just like simple, basic stuff that we completely overlook. Sure. Um, but everyone has access to, because that's what's really important to me. I don't want people to think like you have to have gloves of money to be able to connect with your family. Yeah. I would actually say the opposite. You know, a lot of the child therapists that I interview for 940, so often I hear, if you could give your child five minutes of absolute attunement, that actually carries a longer way than if you're with them for three hours and you're multitasking, you're doing a bunch of other stuff. Like, think about that. Five minute conversation during dinner with your child could be more meaningful, probably so, than taking them to Disneyland for like 10 hours. Yeah. Isn't that powerful? Like everyone has the power to do that. You have five minutes. You have five minutes to give someone an undivided attention. Yes. And it costs nothing. And so I love being able to relay that message to other parents and caregivers that the power rests in your hand. It's just, it's perspective. Intentional, huh? Yeah, it's being very deliberate mm -hmm. because our time here is really short. Yes. So it's like, how are you going to make time matter for people who matter with the limited time you have? Look at you, you know. <laughs> so amazing today uh -huh. Kenny, you have good vibes i'm like extra chatty today <laughs> well thank you you know your story is absolutely phenomenal and you can see the transition and that's why i asked that you know the julie that was running around and getting no sleep and you know was just you know stressed out because of work has changed and transferred and and now just... go ahead I was, and I, I like feel the need to like go back and apologize to everyone that knew me in my twenties mm. of just how like I was so cavalier to brag about like oh yeah I go to work at one a.m. and then I still <laughs> what a fool what a fool but you live and learn 
yes learn and uh i guess that's a part about being you know young you just think you're invincible that's going to and that is the thing that it will allow you to connect with others right because you understand that you mm -hmm. want to party and get out there at 1 a.m yeah. but then you can relate you know you can relate to them the importance of being take of safe self-care and being intentional in life and not just go through life right yeah i mean i just think about i think about my 20s a lot in the sense i was literally running around like a chicken with its head cut off mm. i mean who goes to bed at 5 8 5 p.m to 8 p.m and then like parties for the rest of the time and then goes and reports on like murders at 1, at 1 a.m and then things that they can cheat sleep and then just do it all over again you know and and the times that I could have gone to bed early I just was so busy you know going to networking events you know and I just think about especially during COVID I made a huge shift from FOMO to JOMO like Explain. The fear of missing out shifted really dramatic to um, the joy of missing out. And what that really just means is, are you staying busy just for the sake of being busy or are you protecting time? Because let me tell you, when you start producing a show about time, you have to make the shift because you just realize how many empty things you are filling your calendar with every day and not being present because you're so already moving on to the next thing you have to do. And it's just your whole life is just this list of checkboxes that you have to do. And then cut to you get real sick and you're laying in bed and you can't even move and you're, you know, zombied out on all these prescription drugs and you think to yourself, what, what was all that busyness for? What was all that busyness for? I don't even, this is the, the saddest thing ever. You know how sometimes um, Google pops up all these pictures like, oh, this was you six years ago on this day. If it wasn't for those pictures, I would never believe like 90% of the things that I've done in my life. Like the other day, there was a picture of me hugging Barbara Streisand after I got to see her show, like in a special backseat area, like, I don't remember any of it. I don't remember what she said. I don't remember a conversation. I don't remember a single song she sang for three hours because I was literally going through life sleepwalking. No one can be present when they are getting three hours of sleep a day for years, for years. You know, and mind you, the longest chunk of sleep I would ever get during a week was six hours. And, you know, sleep therapists will tell you, you are not in REM sleep till about three hours in. Mm. So the nights, the most nights where I slept just three or four hours, I was never getting REM sleep, No, like an hour max. And so I was never replenishing. And so I think about all that busy work accomplishing and going after all these hard to get celebrity interviews. I don't remember any of it. It's so sad. Yeah. It's so sad. The types of people I got to meet and I don't remember any of it. And only it's because this, there's a photographic proof 
it's like at that point does it even matter <laughs> like does it even matter that it happened because to me it didn't happen because I was so tired and so it's just it's unfortunate how would you approach that differently Julie today yeah, that's a hard thing to answer because the culture of broadcast news is not changing. Sure. But if you, if you had to, you know. Um, I would have left a long, long time ago. Mm. I would have left a long time ago. It was 17 years I did that. Mm. Can you imagine, like, this is how I, this is the closest I can come to people trying to relate to how I lived my life for 17 years. You know, on those days when you have a 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. flight and the night before you go to bed, but do you really sleep? No, because you're neurotic that you're gonna sleep through your alarm. Yes. Guess what? The plane won't wait for you. Live broadcast won't wait for you. Like the show starts when it starts. And so after having slept through two or three morning shows, <laughs> you go to bed, but you never quite sleeping because mm. you're so scared you're going to sleep through. So it's just like you, you purpose, you're just like the lightest sleeper. And I did that for 17 years. For 17 years, every night I went to bed besides weekends, but it doesn't even matter because your body's so whack that like it doesn't even rest during the weekend. For 17 years, I went to bed every night, almost like what it would be like for you to catch a 5 a.m. flight. Wow. And at least if you make that flight, you can sleep on that flight, right? Right. No. I got to be on. I better look awake. I better make sense. I better perform. Wow. You know? And that's just, it's insane. It's insane to think that I can do that for 17 years and not get crazy sick. You know, I'm not a robot. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so I would have left a lot, lot sooner. How have you transitioned that? You know, now, how is your rest pattern? How are you sleeping? What, what's different now? Um, well, <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you, nothing prepares you better than a morning show grind. Like nothing prepares you for children like the morning show grind, because when kids come, you don't sleep either, you know? And so I was just like used to sleeping in little pockets of two, three hours here and there. And so, you know, my son's seven, my daughter's three. So the last, you know, I left my um, last on-air job, what, two and a half years ago. I thought I would be like definitely getting more sleep and I am, but like, it's still a struggle because the kid, like one of the kids will wake up each night mm. or they'll like wake up ungodly early. So I just like, I think like sleep karma wise, I just, it was like never in the cards. You see? Come on. But that is why despite Omicron craziness, my husband and I decided to like triple mask and like go to Hawaii. Yeah. And in Hawaii, I slept 10 hours every day. Look at you. Yeah. You just like find a way. Yes. Figure it out. Find a way to get the replenishment that you need because when it rears its ugly head in a way you don't want to see it, you don't want to be around. I do not want to go through another huge health battle, you know? Sure. And, um, you know, like I'm also celiac. 
that's an autoimmune disease that like is your own body stressed out and so i <laughs> i'm just really stubborn to learn lessons fast <laughs> it takes something <laughs> as major as a brain tumor and like um, i'm also at a really high risk of getting diabetes i had gestational diabetes with my second pregnancy and when you have that you have 50% chance of getting diabetes for good within the 10 years, for the first, for, for within 10 years. And so, um, yeah, take, listen, make time for your wellness or you'll be forced to make time for your illness. And I say that mostly for myself. <laughs> I'm not even trying to, you know, lecture to your listeners out there. Like I say that out loud, mostly for my own self reminder, because it's like, I, I just am of a FOMO mindset naturally. Like I don't want to miss out on anything and I'm a go-getter and I, you know, I'm a total, total tiger mentality. And um, the hardest thing for me is to like reel it in and, ask myself that question. Am I doing this just to be busy or am I protecting time? And I had an epiphany uh, recently. I read the book, um, Essentialism. And he paints this beautiful uh, analogy. So when you're cleaning out your closet, right? Mm. Like what is usually the criteria? Oh, like, will I ever wear this again? And most of the time I'm like super good at arguing. So I'm like, yes, I will definitely wear this again if I go to a 1980s dance party and like I need like a, <laughs> like a shoulder padded jean jacket, absolutely. <laughs> and like I end up getting rid of like two things tops. But he talks about how you need to make a harder criteria. So then the second criteria is, does this even look good on me, right? So then you probably will remove like 10 more items. But then, what if you added a third criteria, which is if you didn't already own this item, how much would you spend to buy it back? I would probably have like three things left in my closet <laughs> based on that current criteria, right? Sure. So all this to say, we just need to edit our lives better so that we can make more time for the things that matter more. Easier said than done easier said than done because we're being tugged at all sides and listen cost of living is so expensive mm -hmm. and I get it but it's a balance but you got to check yourself you got to check yourself oh wait like this person invited me to this if they didn't invite me would I want to go you know you got to start and I mean it sounds very sterile and very stoic but you, you do have to put these placers on people and events and things because you're just going to be spread so thin and you're going to just come up for air and realize like, oh, I'm just filling time. Yeah. I'm not actually doing meaningful time. I'm just filling time. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it all of it goes by so fast and you do have the power on your end to slow it down and to give time shape so that you actually remember the things that happen in your life. So let me ask, Julie, this, you, you've given us so many gems, and it's understandable, especially with your profession and for 17 years and you've been on the go. What does Julie now do, not only to celebrate life, but also to value it, right? To, to take a, to a moment to pause. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> my husband just re recently gave me the title of um, professional vacationer. What is the other title? Wannabe middle-aged pro surfer lady. Um, <laughs> no. Um, so what I'm working on right now. Uh, so I just started a very, very, very exciting time. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. But January 1st, I got an amazing opportunity of, this is another reason like you just, you want to do good work and you want to be kind to other people because you just never know. You know, I, I love when people say you should always network up sideways and down. You know, you just never know when you're going to run into these people again and what kind of positions are going to be in where they can make a powerful impact in your life. And so I got a referral from a friend that this person is looking for a media strategist. And this organization, this organization is far none. It, I mean, they, they are truly the one organization I can say that gives back to LA 100%. And so a, a, a position that you know, highlights my talents, but also gives back to the community. What, like, insane. So we're in conversation now, and that could be very, very exciting. And I'll update you if that uh, comes into fruition. And then the other thing I get to do is I get to act. So um, how's just, that going? It's so, God, it's so, so fun. It's such an exciting time to be a Korean American actress, because I will say, 30 to 40% of the auditions I do are in Korean now. Um, because, you know, with the success of Squid Game, Parasite, Crazy Rich Asians, I think Hollywood executives have seen that there is a market and demand for Asian-driven content. So um, that's been super exciting to be able to use my Korean. Yeah. That, you know, I just, it's fantastic. And um, yeah, so I've done one movie. I came very close to booking a series regular in Paramount Plus. And then um, I did book a role opposite Mila Kunis. Um, but long story short, random things have shown up for so many of us during the pandemic. And for me, it's been the panic of uh, flying. So the, the shoot was in New York and I had to turn it down because I just... I wasn't in a mental state where I could fly in a plane. Yeah. So, but all this to say, not bad for someone who's never acted and like this all came about in a year and a half, you know, I feel so extremely blessed to have representation. I have an amazing manager, uh, Eric Kind at Brave Management. And um, he's just, I mean, on average, I probably have one or two auditions a week, which I think was like, it's pretty good. So yeah. I can't complain. And um just between you and me, the broadcast thing, you know, everything's 2020 in hindsight, right? I now realize that acting was always the truest calling for me. But because my parents who are so Korean would never stand for an aspiring actor, as like, <laughs> like to describe me to anyone, um, I just think I, kind of was like, okay, well, they're never going to go for that. But this seems to be kind of in the same space, but it's like a little more respectable and a little more predict like more stable that I copped out and took that path because it felt safer. Yeah. You know, and I guess to make to summarize what you're asking me, 
I have the extreme fortune of having a very supportive partner and be income stable enough where I can now make decisions that are zero fear-based. And I realize what a novelty that is. And most people will never get that in their life. So I feel like, again, it's one of those survivor guilt things where I'm like, not too many people get this chance. So I better effing make it matter. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I am, to be able to have that freedom to make choices that are completely just love-driven with zero fear is, is just such a luxury, such a luxury. Sounds so liberating. Yeah, it's just like, oh, I can do this because I want to, not because any other reason or any other strings attached, you know? Yes. And so, yeah, it, it, it was hard leaving news, you know? It was all I knew for 17 years. It served me really well, like income-wise and, and all those experiences I got to have, not that I remember any of them, but, um, <laughs> But I remember when I was quitting, um, there were all these little things I wanted to do to sort of like never shut that door. And my husband is such a beautiful soul. He goes, burn the ship. Mm. If you don't burn the ship, you're going to go back on that ship because it's comfortable. I said, burn the ship. Wow. You can do this. I've got you. Can you imagine having that kind of like, I got your back? person in your life so it's like I I have no excuse to not make this happen yes yeah so um yeah it's just uh I I don't want to take it lightly the the amazing opportunity that has been given to me in life with a different appreciation you know and oh yeah and know. just think about the compounding aspect of this gift that's been given to me right my kids get to witness the mother who is chasing her passion at my age, starting a new chapter with no fear, trying something new. Like, you know what I mean? Yes. It, for them to see that, that it, no matter how old you are, you're never too old to pursue something that your heart desires or to learn something new, to stretch yourself in ways that might feel scary or uncomfortable. Like, to me, that is the greatest gift I can give them because the world is going to continually tell them they can't do something. Yes. Julie, such an honor to have you on our show today. It is amazing. You've dropped so many gems. Let me ask you this last question for our listeners that are out there that are maybe going through the similar thing to you as you. What advice would you give them? Yeah, I would almost say something like a different dimension of what you just asked, which is, you know, I remember when I first got my brain tumor diagnosis, I kept it just to myself for two months. And I never told anybody at work. I never told any friend. Only person that knew was my now husband. And I just kind of wonder what I must have been like to those other people during that time. I can only imagine if they were complaining about something trivial to me, I would probably snap at them. Like, are you effing kidding me? You're complaining about LA traffic when I'm literally dealing with life and death here. Like I have a fist sized brain tumor in my head. Like imagining that that was probably the inner dialogue and just 
harsh energy that I was giving out. And so all this to say, you just don't know what people are going through Mm -hmm. and don't make it about you. And so if you can just filter and like stay open, that's what my advice would be. Stay open to all of life's possibilities because when you block that energy, it's only a punishment to yourself. You block that flow, you know? And that's another reason that I was like, why didn't I leave, you know, the toxic culture broadcast sooner? Because it was like literally dimming my light. And you meet every, like the, the most common compliment I get about myself is always like, oh, people like, oh, we love your, you're such a bright light. You're such a burst of energy. And can you imagine if I stayed in a place that took away the best part of me? You know, it's like, what is that saying? You can't get the egg without the goose. So better take care of the goose. Mm. So just as hard as it is, when something crappy happens, can you relax and let it go? And just let it filter through you like you're a Brita filter. You know, just because whatever you cling on to is only going to like block your own flow and it's only a punishment to yourself. So that would be my advice. <laughs> now, I say that like knowing how hard that is to do, you know what I mean? Yes. Like it, that work, if you devote to that work, that's an every minute, every hour, every day work you know? And so, um, but I also am at the receiving end of the rewards of what happens when you can stay open despite it all. Yes. Right. So, um, if you can be brave enough to just stay open, no matter what, you've got some good rewards coming your way. Amazing. Julie, thank you so much. It's been a, it's been an absolute honor to have you on the show. You dropped so many, so many gems. Oh, I'm probably like a bumper sticker. (laughs) Right. I should probably just like go work for a bumper sticker company. No, no, (laughs) absolutely not. You know, so great. I mean, you know, I think everyone that tunes in is going to take away something from this interview. Yeah. Well, thank you for letting me blab on forever. And real kudos to your assistant and your producing team for staying on me because the ask came many, many months ago. And um, I was like, I was like a airhead surfer out there. Just I'm like, hey, I'll get back to you soon. (laughs) (laughs) You're living your best life. Yeah, bro, I got your message. I'll get back to you. And it would be like three months later. (laughs) So, um, but I I do always want to make it a point to be part of the conversation in the healing community because I am such a walking example of what healing is, you know, possible if you have the positive outlook and the support system and the information out there. Um, And so never give up hope. Yes. So again, I want to thank Julie Chang for joining us here on All Talk Oncology. It was such a privilege of having her on our show and she dropped so many gems. One of the first things she talked about was getting your rest, sleep, and how important it was, right? In fact, research has shown that sleep duration of less than six hours is a risky behavior for the development of chronic diseases, such as stroke, 
and cancer. So you want to make sure we take care of ourselves. We want to get the rest that we need so our bodies can heal and uh, revive. I know we're in the age of grinding, making it happen, but we got to get our rest. Another gem she dropped about was about leaving a legacy, right? What kind of legacy are we leaving behind? Are we helping others? Are we known for that? She talked about that she was having survivor's guilt and how she felt guilty. Why did she, why did she live and other people did not? But she said, what did she say? I'm going to give back and give hope to those that are going through something similar. And what an amazing legacy, right? There's so many people that can benefit uh, from her advice. And another gem she talked about was taking time for your health. You know, wellness is extremely important. You are no good to anyone if you're sick, right? You know, it's kind of like an airplane. When they say if the plane is going down and the oxygen mass drops, you're not to help the person next to you put on their mask and get them all settled like your kids or whoever's sitting next to you. The first thing you want to do is take care of you, put on your mask because you're no good to anyone if you're passed out, right? <laughs> you have to take care of you, put your mask on first. So then that way you can help others. And it's the same way. Take care of your health. Make sure that you're getting your checkups and getting things uh, done as soon as possible. Don't skip out on that. In fact, the earlier you find anything, you know, if people are afraid, I don't, what if they find something? Yeah. Well, if they find it, let's find it early, right? Because the, the statistics show that you find things early, you can do something about it versus waiting until later. So let's make sure that we take time for ourselves. So again, I want to thank everyone who tuned in today. Here's where you will find up-to-date cancer discussions with industry experts and leading professionals that can help you in your cancer fight. You are not alone in this. We are in this together. I'm your host, Kenny Perkins, AKA The Cancer Guy. And until again, I'm out.